Because last week, you remember, we were looking at the fact that Nehemiah had been dealing with all these attacks from the outside, Sambalot and Tobiah, right? The evil Batman and Robin. We're going to talk more about them tonight. But then also last week, specifically, we were dealing with stuff that was happening on the inside of Judah, right? Like stuff that was happening inside of their own country. Their own people were stuck with this greed, with all this like garbage that was so ugly and gross, right? They were enslaving their own people. They were doing all this stuff that was just really disgusting. And so he kind of hammers on them, right? He was just ripping them up and they, they, they listened, right? Specifically what we were looking at. We were looking at those that had money, greedy and grossly kind of charging and enslaving other Jews who didn't have enough money to feed their family already because there was a, you know, a, a drought that was happening there, a, you know, a famine that was happening. And not only were they left with no food, but they didn't even have enough money to pay some of the, like, the taxes that were due to the king. And so they had all this stuff going on, this usury, this loan sharking that was happening within their own people. It was just gross. And we saw that Nehemiah did his best not only to kind of stop that and get that to come to a stop, but also at the very end of the chapter, you remember, he writes this thing that kind of sounds, it could sound braggadocious if you didn't know Nehemiah, right? Because he's like, I had 150 Jews at my table. I did this, I did that, I did this. But what was his point? He was trying to say, God, I'm doing my best to lead by example. Where everybody else is taking, I'm giving. Where, where there's actually, as the governor of these people, I would have the right to, to ask for like a certain pension from each person, a tax, so to speak. I'm not doing it because I know they're hurting. So I'm trying to walk this out, God. I'm trying to do this, to give from my abundance instead of take to add more to my abundance. Not trying to worry about making more, but instead focusing on God's mission and caring about others as he could. And guys, that preaches on itself, doesn't it? That should be our hearts, Christians. American Christian, you have more than most of the world. You have a little to give. I'm not acting like God's calling you to give it all away. That's between you and the Lord. But what I will say is, we have time, we have resources, we have a lot of things that God might be calling us to give. Are we willing to be obedient to that? Tonight, you guys, we're going to see this, that the, net, the enemy never stops attacking. We've been looking at that over the last weeks, right? He attacks from the outside, it doesn't work. He attacks from the inside, it doesn't work. They repent, they, they turn around, they stop doing it. Now we're back to an outside attack. And the fact is, we've talked about this over and over again, you guys. The more we seek to follow God, the more that we can expect to have tribulations and trials in our lives. Why? Because the enemy is never happy when you're following God. It's just a fact. It's just a fact. I've had the privilege of bringing some people to Jesus, you know, and that's an awesome thing. And, and the, the, the funniest thing to do is right after we say the prayer of salvation and they come to the Lord is to tell them the truth, which is this. It's getting ready to get hard. You ready? Because people are like, <laughs> right? They're like, what? Like, yeah, it gets hard. It gets hard because the enemy's not happy that you're seeking to follow God. It doesn't get easier. It gets harder. So, thus the name of the message tonight. What was it? Never stop fighting. Never stop fighting. We're going to learn how to fight tonight. I got a little hint for you. It's not jujitsu. Verse 1 of chapter 6. You guys ready? Let's do this. It says this. Now it happened when Sambalot 
Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard Geshem, the Arab. That sounds like a really good rap name, doesn't it? I'm just saying. (laughs) Sorry, that just popped into my head. And the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there were no breaks left in it, though at that time I had not hung the doors in the gates, that Sambalot and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me harm. So I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work, so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? But they sent this message, sent me this message four times, And I answered them in the same manner. So we see here that evil Batman and Robin are back. Sambalot and Tobiah. And this is where the analogy kind of breaks down because I was thinking about that. Like, who's Geshem then? And so we're going to go with the Joker for that. And then we got all the other unnamed enemies. And so the Riddler, Penguin, Bane, and Two-Face. There it is. And I know that everyone that loves comic books is like, wait a minute, Batman and Robin fought those guys. Follow me. This is the evil Batman and Robin. They're on the same side as the Joker and Two-Face and Bane and Penguin and the Riddler. So riddle me this, Batman. They're all there. And we see Sambalot and Geshem. They sent to him and they said, come let us meet together among the villages and the plains of Ono. You guys, these unnamed enemies, these people that the enemy was using here. Satan was bringing all that he could, man. Why? Do you guys see that? Have we noticed that? Who did it start off with? Initially, it was just Sambalot. Then it was Sambalot and Tobiah. Then it was Sambalot, Tobiah, and some other people. Then it was Sambalot, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and now there's a bunch of other people. Like, it just keeps growing. The enemy's like, it didn't work with two people. It didn't work with this way. It didn't work that way. We're just going to keep throwing stuff, seeing what noodle might stick to the wall, so to speak, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? The best way to figure out when spaghetti's done, right? You throw it against the wall and see if it sticks. So Satan was bringing in all that he could. Why? To get the wall stalled. And this was Satan's do or die moment, right? We read here that Nehemiah's like, it's all done. All we got to do is hang the gates. Like we're, we're doing this. It's nearing completion. Think about all of the junk that he's walked through to get there. It's crazy. God had been doing this work through the people of Israel and in the people of Israel, even through all of the setbacks, the sinfulness that they had been going through as they did this work, he kept them on task. God kept them on task, and through the leadership of Nehemiah, they were getting the work done. And I want you guys to notice a few things. Do you notice how before Sambalot and Tobiah, they were kind of like directly attacking him, right? They were threatening war. They were like, you've got some holes in the wall. We're going to come and we're going to do you damage. And so that's when, you know, Nehemiah's like had one guy standing with the sword and the other guy with the trowel. And then eventually we read that they were like, a sword was on their belt. They're ready to rock and roll. And they were still working on the wall at the same time. And so there was this constant kind of like vigilance to that. And that was a direct attack. But this time it's this indirect attack. It's not completely in your face. And where, what were they luring him to? They were attempting to lure Nehemiah away to what? To come talk this out. To come have a conversation about it. To come to an understanding. And I love the name of the place. Did you guys notice that? Oh, no. That should be a clear sign. Oh, no. Oh, no. They were trying to get him away. What? Listen, you guys. I read a lot of different 
you know, scholars that were saying that like this place, this Ono, this in the villages of Ono, and the reason they even mentioned this is that this was a nice place to go. This was kind of what you would call like a resort town. This was like going up into the White Mountains, or this was like going down into Hampton or something like that, where you're just going to get away and go to someplace nice. That's kind of what they were inviting Nehemiah to. Like, hey man, you've been working really hard. And you know, we haven't made it easy on you either. It's been super difficult for you. So come on away. Come on away and we'll just have a little chat. We'll talk this through. But what did Nehemiah see? Nehemiah saw this very clearly. Nehemiah's like, no. Why would I walk away from the thing that God's called me to to get away and get a rest? And on top of that, you guys have not been friendly to me all this time, so why suddenly do you want to have a conversation, right? It's kind of wise. You guys know what street smarts are? Nehemiah was street smart. He wasn't an idiot. Listen, you were not the cupbearer to the king. I guarantee he had some people that wanted to take him out, right? You're, you're not that high echelon person without some enemies. It's just a fact. So he was not stupid, Right? Like he was born, but not born yesterday. He wasn't a dumb guy. And so he knew, like, man, there's something about this. He had discernment, you guys. It's, it's this thing. And so he's like, no, God's called me to this. Verse 3 says, I'm doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? Nehemiah clearly was walking in discernment through this time. He saw through their false narrative. He saw that that was not the goal that they were aiming at, right? Like, that he's like, come on, man. You guys, can I say something? We all need to grow in discernment. We all need it. We need it. And I don't care how old you are and how long you've been on this earth, you still have more to learn. And if you're young and you think you're super discerning, oh, Lord, you're just revealing how much more you got to grow <laughs> in it. Because none of us have arrived in that. We don't know what we don't know right? The wisest thing I've ever heard, like, man, I've talked to some people, and, and I remember I was talking to this one guy, and he was pretty young, and, and he made this profound statement. He said that. He was like, man, I don't know what I don't know, and I'm like, wow, and he's like, what? And I'm like, that was probably the most mature thing I've heard someone of 19 say in my life, because it's the truth. A lot of times it takes us, especially guys, I don't know, about 26 for me until I figured that out, you know? It took me a little extra long until I was like, oh, yeah, I don't know a lot of things, right? But what is discernment, you guys? Well, here's what it isn't. Discernment, a lot of people think, is being negative and cynical. That's not discerning. If you're a cynical person or just a negative person, that doesn't mean you're discerning. That just means that you kind of miss out on a lot of opportunities because you're too busy being negative right? If you're the cynic all the time, that just makes you look pompous, to be honest, right? That's not what discernment is. Discernment, you guys, here's what it is. It's seeing everything according to God's view. Discernment is seeing everything according to God's view. And so you know what that means? It means sometimes you see good where other people don't. But it also means what we kind of commonly refer to discernment as is this it often means that you can look through and see bad or deceitful things when other people might not see it. So it goes both ways. But our hearts should be to, to see things discerningly. And Lord willing, you guys, can I just say this? If we have a church full of people that are praying for discernment, do you realize that we're going to nine times out of ten agree with each other and we're going to all kind of see the same thing? And that's a beautiful thing. 
It doesn't mean we always are. But I'm saying there's this idea that like we will see in something or in someone this thing that maybe in the world around them, they're like, this guy's an idiot or this guy's this or this guy's that. And you're like, no, he just hasn't been given a shot or no, he is whatever. And then other times, you guys, where people are like, this man is the most amazing human being in the world. I'm not good. Let's just not use men. Let's use women because it's not just men. This woman is the most phenomenal, spectacular, blah, 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 blah. I shouldn't use women because now I'm going with the negative side, so that sounds bad. But then you look at it and you're like, eh, I don't think she's all she's cracked up to be. You know? You get my point? Have you guys ever come across that in your life? I was in the military for 15 years. There were some guys that talked a really big game that I had something in my mind. I'm not saying I was always right about this, but something in my own mind that I'm like, your words are big. And usually with big words, you, you need to have big actions to support that. And 90% of the time, you don't, right? And so you can discern those things. But some people are turned on by those big words. They're like, whoa, this guy's awesome. And then he falls flat in his face. You get what I'm getting at, you guys? We can see this both ways. It's not just one way. How do we grow in discernment? Well, think about it. If, if discernment is seeing things with God's eyes, seeing things the way God sees them, how do we do it? We get in his word. We get in his word. How are you going to know how God sees things without reading what God says about how he sees things? <laughs> kind of follows, doesn't it? It makes perfect sense. And so you guys, man, I, I, you know, if, if you're here tonight and you're like, dude, I, I want God, I want more discernment. God, I want to know it. I want to, yes, Lord. And then you're like, but I haven't been in the word in a month and a half. Okay, you're not doing yourself any favors right? Like we should be doing that, you guys. We need to be in his word. How do we know that discernment is growing in us? I'll tell you one way that I see is that we start looking and thinking, God, what's your whole counsel on this subject? Lord, what is the whole counsel of God's word on this particular thing or on this particular feeling that I've got in my heart? Does that make sense? Because some people are not discerning and they're like, I love this girl. She's amazing. She's the most beautiful, most precious, most beautiful, just awesome person in the world. And I'm like, is she a Christian? Well, no. Okay, discernment would tell you that God's word says that that's, you're unequally yoked. Don't go that way. For your own sake and for hers. Why would you do that? You know, you get my point? So a discerning person would say, God's word says that's not cool. So she could be the most amazing, awesome thing since sliced bread. She's not the one. If you want her to be the one, Pray for her to come to the Lord, <laughs> right? You guys, we got to judge things by the whole counsel of God's word. And to be honest, it's usually, for me, a very terrifying thing to hear someone use one verse out of context in order to justify their own desires. I've heard people say like, well, God's really given me just a heart of discernment on this issue. And so they throw out one Bible verse and they're ripping it out of context and just torturing that verse to death with a whip. And they're like, and that's just really what I feel like the Lord's called me. And I'm like, that's not right. <laughs> like, and it doesn't, like a third grader could come and tell, tell you some other verses that go against what you just said. You get what I'm saying? It's not discernment. That's, well, I don't know what that is. I do, but I got a word I'm not going to use. Idiot. Anyway, <laughs> the second part of discernment is this, you guys. You don't swallow the Kool-Aid from one person. 
And if you're old enough to know what that means, that's terrifying, right? Swallow the Kool-Aid from one person. Do you guys know where that phrase came from? Jonestown. People that were not discerning and just followed this guy that talked this big game. Followed him down to Jonestown and died by drinking Kool-Aid. Well, actually, Flavor-Aid. Poor Kool-Aid. Flavor-Aid. But the fact is, you guys, you don't drink the Kool-Aid from one person. And guess what, guys? That means even me. Don't drink my Kool-Aid. Doesn't taste very good. It's no sugar. I'm diabetic. You guys, you listen to the counsel of more than one Christian. You're reading God's word. You're studying it on your own. You're asking the Holy Spirit to grow inside of you a knowledge of his word so that you can discern what is his will for you. What's, what's going on in these situations? But you don't just listen to one person, you guys. You don't say like, man, Joel Osteen's my man. I'm just going to jam with him and that's it. You're going to get a very skewed sense of theology. You don't just listen to me. I mean that. How many times have I said it, you guys? Be Bereans. Dig into the word. I'm a human being doing my very best to bring you guys a meal that's healthy and good. And I, I, I'm prayerfully trying to do that. But the reality is, you guys, is I'm flawed, man. I'm human. We need to seek God's word and seek God's counsel with a bunch of Christians, right? It's not about one person. Look for people that desire to see God's perspective on things. You guys, and you know what this means in all this stuff? Don't seek the people that tickle your ear. Proverbs 27, 6 says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. It's so true. And too many Christians, you guys, follow after the pastors that tickle their ear. The ones that say like, man, you want a car? Believe in faith and you'll have that car. No, dude, I haven't ever got a car from my faith. Right? People want to follow after the thing that's easy because it's the thing they want. But it, listen, people that are tickling your ear usually don't have your best interests in mind. People that are preaching God's word and sometimes coming at you with a hard word, those are the people that I tend to want to listen to. Even though in a moment's notice, like when they're first telling me stuff like that, I might want to punch them in the nose. Do you know what I'm getting at? Those are the people that I'm going to walk away from and be like, they love me enough to say something to me, even though they know they didn't probably want to say that either because saying a hard word is hard. It's what makes it a hard word, right? And so those, there's those moments that you get to walk that out and see that. But you guys, I, if you're only listening to one person, if you're definitely not listening to anybody but you, God help you. Because I don't know that you're going to really be able to grow in discernment in, this, in the same capacity that someone that's willing to listen to some hard words, have an abundance of counselors, and most importantly, dig into the word themselves and learn and grow, those people are going to grow in discernment. Very often, you guys, people are too busy not liking what they're hearing and not walking in discernment. And instead, you know what happens? They walk in defiance. They walk in defiance to God's word. They walk in defiance to the church that they're in. They walk in defiance to their brothers or their sisters in the Lord that are really lovingly saying like, no, you are wrong in this moment. We need to hear those things. We need to hear that. You guys, spiritual maturity is the aim of our walk of sanctification, isn't it? We're walking in this walk of sanctification. We're, we're stepping through mud puddles. We're getting all dirty and nasty because we're in the world around us. And to be honest, we like the mud puddles, right? Because we're like little kids. We're stomping through the mud puddles. But the reality is, is that God wants us to walk through those things, grow up, get more mature, become 
spiritually wiser in the way we look at our lives and in the way we look at those around us. And how does that happen? A lot of times, it's through people saying, don't walk through that mud puddle again. And you're like, but I like this mud puddle. And you're like, no, dude, stop. And you get to choose. You can stand there and stomp your feet in anger now because you didn't like what so-and-so said. Or you can grow up and get out of the mud puddle. Good night. No, I'm kidding. You guys... Spiritual babies don't have discernment. Do babies have discernment? Listen, babies will eat chocolate and good things right along with Clorox and things that can kill them. That's what a baby will do. They don't have discernment. Spiritual babies do the same thing. They'll swallow whatever you give to them. So church, we need to grow in maturity because thank God we have spiritual babies coming in all the time. We have people that don't know the Lord yet that come to this church week by week. I'm so grateful for that. My prayer is is that they come to the Lord. But I'm super stoked that we have a church full of people that are in all different stages of their walk with him. And so, guys, as we grow, we are all supposed to be maturing and growing up. Why? Because, you know, I was reading in in Timothy the other, what was that, about a month or two ago? And there's this section in, I think it's in Timothy or Titus, one of the two, one of the pastoral epistles, and it was talking about this, Titus. Paul was telling Titus this. He was saying, hey, Titus, here's your job. Tell the older men to be sober. Tell them to be self-controlled and prepare them to like get ready to teach the younger men. And then it says, and younger men, do this. Learn self-control. Do all these things, blah, 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 blah. Well, I've read that scripture a million times probably. And you know who I always related to every time? The younger man. And God, very clearly, this last time through, I was telling Steve, the last time through, I read it, and I got to the younger man, and I'm like, yes, God, I'm ready. And he's like, no, dude, that that top part was for you. And I'm like, oh. Listen, that's the goal, isn't it? We're all growing. We're all getting older. And we're just, we're getting older in age, but the sad part is we can still be spiritual babies and 90 years old in our flesh. Let's, listen, I've met 20-year-olds that are more mature than 80-year-olds in spiritual matters. That's a fact. That's sad. Shouldn't be, you guys. Let's all grow. Let's grow as the Lord allows us to grow. Let's dig in. Let's make this our priority in our lives, you guys. Spiritual babies don't have discernment, but we're called to grow up. Part of growing up comes from how? Being part of a church body. Flip over with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Part of growing up is being part of a church body. This is all dealing with discernment, how we gain discernment. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 says this. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, it's talking about in the temple, right? That we can enter in with Jesus Christ. Literally just enter right in by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, 
and so much the more as you see the day approaching. You guys, what's he saying? Be part of a body. It's the thing we always keep talking about. Be faithful to come to church, not because it's some legalistic thing, not because Pastor Jeremy's going to be ticked off if he doesn't see you for two weeks. No, even though that's true, I do get angry with people that don't come. No, I don't. I miss you guys. But the reality is, you guys, don't show up for any other reason other than this, because you want to be known and because you want to grow. Because the more known you are and the more people know you and you know them, the more opportunity there is for you to grow and for you to grow them. You and I have the opportunity to grow others and to be grown by being in a church community. It's important. It's vital. It's not just about checking a block. Part of growing up also comes from walking out our own failures and shortcomings. Listen, all of our lives, you guys, should be drawing a Christian closer to Jesus and building upon this greater desire in us to follow him. And guys, I'm so thankful for that little tidbit of information because for you and for you and for all these people that are younger, guess what? You've got some failure in your life ahead of you. And so do we all. So encouraging. Good night. No, I'm kidding. No, we do, don't we? We do. And God works through even those things for his good. And I'm super stoked about that because man, even when I fall flat on my face, God's grace is sufficient for that. And I can stand up and I can say, oh God, forgive me. Please, Lord, I don't want, would you help me not to walk back to that? I, I, I repent, I, I, don't, I don't want to walk that way. But I promise you guys, he wants us to learn from those things. We get to grow from those things. We do, and it's, it's a gracious and a good thing to know that God builds up in us discernment and knowledge and wisdom and then the last part I want to say is this. We grow up and we, we learn discernment and be part of what God's got for us through the Holy Spirit's guidance. The more we're seeking to follow Jesus, the more we want to know what his word is and how to walk it out, man, the more I think we find ourselves hearing that quiet whisper in our hearts that says, have you guys ever had that opportunity where, man, you're walking out something and all of a sudden some verse just pops into your head? You guys ever have that happen? Man, that's the Holy Spirit. That's especially true in my life because my brain can barely hold anything in it. And so if something pops into it, I'm like, dang, that was God, right? If it's something from the word, I'm like, woo, Lord, okay. And it's still my choice whether or not I follow it. And so sometimes we go back up to the other one and I have to touch my hand to the hot stove to learn. But do you get the point, you guys? We grow up. We learn this discernment thing that Nehemiah had. And it's something that I think is for all of us. Last thing that we learn about discernment is this. We grow in discernment by asking God for more of it. That's awesome, right? Here's the deal. We see that God gives specific gifts. And one of the gifts that we see, there's like the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy and all these other gifts that we see. One of the gifts, you guys, is discerning spirits. Let's process that thought. When we're discerning things, do you realize that we're kind of discerning the spirit that's behind it? So like, did you ever hear someone say like, man, I know your heart. Sometimes that can mean that literally I know that you're a Christian believer and that I know your heart is to seek him. There's a spirit to you, you could say. And other people I've known very, very well that I love dearly, but I also know their heart and their heart is not good. And so I keep them at arm's length on most things, right? People that I call friends that I'm like, dude, I love you, but I'm not, 
I'm not going to give you any closer than this because I know your heart. And I know that if you can stab me in the back, you're probably going to do it, right? We all know people like that, don't we? If you don't, go meet somebody. You guys, 1 Corinthians 12.10 is where we find that specific gift of discerning spirits. But flip over with me to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. First John chapter four, starting in verse one, says this. It says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that comp- confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. You guys in the world today, I got to say this. We see many, many people that claim Christianity that would say, I believe in God, or maybe even I'm a Christian. And the more you dig down into that, it doesn't take much discussion or observation to realize, A, they're not walking with Jesus at all. You just see it in the way they live. Or you hear them say things like, I go to uh, church on Christmas. What the heck does that mean? Nothing. That does not make you a Christian, right? There's things like that. Instead of actually trying to like see a heart of following after God or fighting to follow after God, you see them instead just following after their own flesh. And you guys, we need to ask God to give us help to see the difference. We do. Their eternal soul is in the balance. You realize that? It always makes me sad. And I've had to do one funeral this way where I thank God I was able to talk to someone that I know for a fact was able to pray with this gentleman that had passed away, but he passed away from a drug overdose. And the saddest part of all that was is that I talked to his whole family and his family was like, I have no idea if he's accepted Christ or not. And then, you know what they told me? He went to church on Christmas that doesn't mean anything. It also doesn't mean you're not a Christian. Do you understand? But I don't know about you guys. I know this. Going through some stuff right now where like I have family members that are really going through a lot of really nasty stuff. I'll tell you this. When I die, I hope everybody in this room, I hope everybody I ever come in contact with knows exactly where I am. Because I lived in such a way that I told them exactly what I believed. And I'm not condemning you, but can God, can can you say the same for you? I think it's a great kind of self-awareness analysis thing. What does my life look like to the outside world? You guys, we see here, Nehemiah didn't change course. With all this stuff, even as they were bringing it up, even as they were trying to sound nice and kind and gracious to him, and even though they kept asking over and over, look, he knew what God said, and he stuck to it. Let's keep reading verse 5. 
says, Then Sambalot sent his servants to me as before the fifth time, with an open letter in his hand. What does that mean? This open letter means that he was literally like getting ready to read it. A letter was sealed and closed, and the messenger would deliver it to who it was supposed to go to. When they're saying it's an open letter, what he's saying is, I read this aloud in front of everybody. And so he said this, and it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem says, <laughs> that's always a good way to start, that you and the Jews plan to rebel. Therefore, according to these rumors, you are rebuilding the wall that you may be their king, and you have also appointed prophets to look to proclaim concerning you at Jerusalem, saying, there is a king in Judah. Now these matters will be reported to the king. So come, therefore, and let us consult together. And then I sent to him, saying, no such things as you say are being done, but you invent them in your own heart. For they all were trying to make us afraid, saying their hands will be weakened in the work, and it will not be done. Now, therefore, O God, strengthen my hands." You guys, when the plan failed, the evil dynamic duo and his friends didn't like get the, the, the result that they were looking for. They took a different tactic. Again, they sent a messenger to read this open letter right out in front of everybody on the wall, right? Nehemiah and whoever else was within earshot to speak a bunch of made up lies about them. You guys, can you see that Satan's obviously getting desperate, right? He's like, what? What's happening? What can I do? When the enemy can't get a win, you guys, he will get more desperate. He will get more desperate. He'll tell you what others are saying about you. <laughs> Listen, I got to say this. If you hear things like, a great many people feel this way about whatever. Or I've heard a lot of people saying, When I hear things like that, do you know what my immediate response is personally? Listen, I've heard a lot of that stuff sometimes in the years that I've been in ministry. You know, so-and-so was saying, who's so-and-so? My immediate response is this, is I'm like, oh man, that's great. I'm, I'm glad to hear that they're saying stuff. Can you send them my way? I just squelch it. I'm glad. I need you guys to hear this. I think I have pretty thick skin. Don't you think I have pretty thick skin? Most of the time. I'm glad to hear criticism. I have zero problem with criticism. As a matter of fact, criticism is what helps you grow. But the fact is, you guys, is I'm not going to abide one person telling me about what everybody else is saying, and nor should you. The fact is, is that if you're going to go to me or to anybody else, and this isn't like me coming up against anything. I'm saying, here's what Nehemiah was confronted with, was this Sambalot guy saying, I heard from Geshem, and everybody else is saying that this is what's happening. Well, what would he do? Who gives a hoot? What? <laughs> These words. You guys, who cares what anybody else is saying? I think what you need to say is, send everybody else to me and let them have the guts to tell me to, the, to my face. Like, talk to me about what they think to my face. And if they can't, because here's the deal. You know what usually happens when someone says, everybody's saying this about you? You know what that usually means? A, there is not an everybody, and they're too cowardly to just own it on their own. Or B, there is an everybody, and those people are too cowardly to come and own it on their own. But either way, it's not worth your time to listen. It really isn't. The fact is, is that the enemy wants nothing more than to get us sidetracked and distracted and stopping the thing that we're doing. Why? Because we get more scared of humanity and what people might think 
than having a fear of the Lord and saying, God, your mission and your truth is all that matters. And so, again, Nehemiah gives us this awesome leadership example and an awesome life example, and that is this, you guys. If you have a mission from the Lord, and you all do, if you're here today and you know Jesus Christ, your mission is this. Go into the world, tell people about him, and live a life that shines Christ. That's your mission. That's it. That's your job. That's what you're supposed to do. It's what we're all called to do. That's it. If someone says, you know, so-and-so was telling me that you were kind of like talking about this and I heard that HR doesn't like that, who cares? I mean it. Like, let it, let it happen. I'm also not saying go up to everybody in the lunchroom and be like, come to Jesus, figure it out. You guys need to know Jesus. No. Then HR is going to come to you for physical violence. That's different. I'm talking about you just living your life and loving Jesus. And when people need prayer, praying with them. And when people ask what you're doing this weekend, dude, I'm going to church. And if they think that's weird, that's fine and dandy. And if they come and say, everybody thinks you're really odd, you'd be like, that's great, man. I'm a freak for Jesus. I'm okay with that. Do you know what I mean? Do you get my, diff- get my point here? I feel like Nehemiah is just doing this. He's saying, look, what everybody else is saying doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If God's called us to do something, nothing should stand in the way of doing that thing for God. Nothing. We don't let anything get in the way of that. You guys, we continue the fight. We don't go down and deal with every distraction. Do you also notice that Nehemiah didn't take point by point and say, well, first off, we don't have prophets that are doing that, so that's not true. And second off, I have never said this. And third off, and no, he's just like, that's a bunch of lies and I don't care. That's a way better way to handle it. Or you know what's even better, you guys? I've done this before too, and this is always fun. Is that when someone's saying all these things, you just stand there and you go like this. Awkwardly long until they finally are like, I'm like, is that that it? Is that what you got? Okay, cool. I love you, brother. Let's move on, right? Do you get my point? Because if you don't have the guts to come up and really be honest with a brother or a sister and say, listen, I'm not telling you what everybody else is saying. I'm telling you what I'm seeing in your life. That's a real conversation. That's the thing I want to engage in. That's the thing I want to hear as a Christian brother is for another brother to come up and say, dude, you need to really look at this because I see this in your heart and I think that it's not good. That's a conversation that I'm like, yes, I want to hear that. And even if I don't like it, and even if I don't agree with it, that's a conversation worth hearing and having, right? Do you get the difference? Man, the only difference, you guys, between a Christian leader who's winning at the call that God's put on him and the one that's losing at the call that God's put on him or her is this, is how much they continue to seek God first and don't choose to lose focus on the thing that God's given them to do. That's it. David Guzik said this. It's a great quote by David Guzik. He said this, anyone doing a work for God must contend with a hundred different noble causes. Notice he didn't say a hundred different naggy people or a hundred different horrible situations. No, noble causes. Take that part in. This is taking a little bit of a different tact here. They have to contend with a hundred different noble causes and a hundred things that might look good and be good, but they are not what they are called to do at that time. Discernment gives us focus. You guys, 
not everything is like Nehemiah where he's just getting hammered on to the negative. Sometimes the things that distract us are this. My child is wanting to play softball and those softball games are every Sunday. That's noble. That's not bad. Is that what God's called your family to do? Probably not. Just being real. Too many families choose the lesser thing at the expense of the better thing. Does that make sense? And I'm sorry if that steps on toes. That's just really what I see because I've seen whole families where the kids are like played every sport, did every last activity, did all these things, and then they turn old enough to come to church and they don't because their parents never made it a priority, so why should they? That's a shame. It's a shame. Now, on the flip side of that coin, can I say this? It doesn't mean that making church a priority for every kid means that they're going to automatically make it a priority for themselves either. So that's not the, the end all of it either, right? And there is balance in all these things. So I'm not acting like I know the answer. What I'm getting at is, you guys, is that there are a thousand noble causes that we can all be following. What is God calling you to follow? That's the thing you should be after, period, end of sentence. And I don't know what that looks like. That's for you and the Lord to figure out. But we need to not let even the good things get in the way of what God's calling us to do. So, can I ask you guys to do something for me? And this is something that I was thinking about as I was preparing this message this week. And that is this, you guys. Do you know how many noble causes are given to us as a church to do? Tons. And not one of them is bad. Not one. We've been invited to be a part of a lot of things. And so can I ask, I covet your prayers. Our, the board covets your prayers to just come together and say, God, what do you want to do? What things do you want us to pour all the money that you guys give to us back into? God, what do you want us as a church to put our time to? God, how do you want us to deal with this? Because if we're spread into 100,000 different directions, what we're not gonna be doing is what God's called us to do. We're just gonna be another social club doing a lot of great things. Like, if you want that, go to the Elks, go to the VFW, go to a lot of places, right? No, I want to be where God wants us to be as a church. And I want that for each of us individually as well. And that takes time and discernment and prayer, right? So, yeah, we cover your prayers, you guys. And also, recognize this. It's not just about the leadership here at this church, you guys. We are all leaders in our capacity. Mom and dad, you're a leader in your home. How are you leading your family? How does God want you to lead your family? From the lowest level worker or, and all the way up to the CEO or the owner of the company, you're a leader in your business, in your workplace. How does God want you to lead in the capacity that you're in? How does he want to do that? They're good questions to continue to ask, continue to say, God, focus my life on the things that matter, on the things that you want me to be doing. You guys... Think about this. Jesus himself did not help every person that was put in front of him. You guys realize that? He didn't. If you remember, he went all night long healing people. He healed Peter's ma. Peter's ma gets up and starts cooking, going crazy. He's doing all this healing. All these people came. And then they're like, Peter comes out. He's like, where did Jesus go? Right? Where did our little like slot machine go that we could pull the, pull the arm again and get some more miracles out of this guy? He was up praying and they went and find him. And you know what he said to him? Let's go. It's time to go. He didn't heal everybody. He didn't do everything that was around him to do. No, he did what God called him to do. Here we see that Nehemiah didn't really bother to say much. He was just like, look, it's lies and it's not true and I'm not going to get hung up on that. 
So, you guys, I want to say one more thing about this section, and, and it just, you know that Nehemiah wasn't perfect, right? He wasn't. But I admire Nehemiah so much because I see in him this heart to just let it rip, to just do what God's called him to do. Like, kind of like, who cares what everybody else thinks? I'm going to do this. And that's what I want my life to look like. I want to just give it to God. I want to leave the results and the aftermath to him. I do. While at the same time recognizing that I'm a simple human being and that I'm going to fail and mess that up. Today I messed it up. I sent a text that I shouldn't have texted and I had to apologize for that text. But you know what? At the same time, at the end of the day, I just want to let it rip because even in those moments, I'm trying my best to aim at what I think God has for me. And sometimes God's like, you missed the mark, brother. And I'm like, yes, I did. God, forgive me. Person I offended, forgive me. Let's move on and keep letting it rip. Keep letting it go. Just let it rip. Just go at it, man. I don't want to get to heaven with anything left. I want to see our church be that type of church. It's just like, man, I'm doing this. I am letting it rip. I'm just doing what I feel like God's called me to do. And letting the aftermath of all that in his care, walking in the freedom of grace, while at the same time prayerfully continuing to pray for more discernment and wisdom. Why? So we don't keep letting it rip in the wrong direction, but instead we, we go the right direction next time, right? Do you get what I'm getting at, you guys? That's what I want. I love Nehemiah. If you get nothing else tonight, get a hold of the fact that he was about God's mission and he didn't give a care in the world about what anybody else thought about it. Verse 10. Afterward, I came to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, and the son of that guy, Mehetalab, who was a secret informer. And, and, said, and he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple and let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. Indeed, at night they will come to kill you. And I said, should I or should such a man as I flee? And who is there such as I who would go in into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. And then I perceived that God had not sent him at all and that he pronounced this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalot had hired him. For this reason, he was hired that I should be afraid and act that way and sin so that they might have cause for an evil report that they might reproach me. My God, remember Tobiah and Sambalot, according to these, uh, these their works, and the prophetess uh, Nodiah and the rest of the prophets who would have made me afraid. You guys, Nehemiah is now being told by this prophet named Shemaiah some things. And I need us to hear this, you guys. We don't know much about this guy, Shemaiah, but here's what we do know that's pretty obvious right here. Obviously, he was someone that Nehemiah had some level of knowledge of. Why do we know that? Do you notice that Nehemiah went to his house? I don't just randomly show up to everybody that calls me and says, hey, pastor, I need some help. I'm not just going to go to your house. Like if I know you and you're asking me to come into your home, yeah, sure, I'll go to your house. But I'm not just going to walk into everybody's house randomly. That would be unwise, wouldn't it? That would be undiscerning. So Nehemiah obviously knew this guy. He had some level of relationship with this guy. He also had some level of trust because he was allowing this guy to speak into his life. And so there was some 
level of trust he had met privately with Shemaiah in his house. And Shemaiah says some astounding things here. He says, hey, here's my prophecy to you. There's a plot to kill you, Nehemiah. You're going to die tonight. You know what I think? What God's telling me is this, is that we should go into the temple, not the outer courts, no, the temple, and hide out, close the doors, and lock ourselves in. And we should do that right now. And this might sound good on the surface, doesn't it? Like, man, man, thank you, Lord, that you sent this guy to protect me, to tell me how I can get away from danger. And so when we first read what Nehemiah says, it sounds a little cocky, doesn't it? Why should such a man as I flee? All right, Rambo, cool your jets, right? No, guys, you need to understand why he's saying these things. What Shemaiah was saying was blatantly against God's law, which gives you a very quick clue that he was a false prophet. You guys, only priests were allowed to enter into the temple itself. Only priests. Nehemiah was not a priest. So Nehemiah's like, wait, hold on. God did not tell you that. There's no way. God would not intentionally break his own law. Right? And so there's a sense of just clearly knowing, again, going back to what we said before, how do you gain discernment? Know God's word. Nehemiah knew. He's like, whoa, no, that's not from the Lord. That is not from the Lord at all. Nehemiah discerned that it wasn't coming from God, you think? Listen, God will not speak something from someone that goes against his own word. He won't. He just won't. I've had people come up to me who were in relationships that were not of the Lord because they were unequally yoked and they were doing these things. And they were like, well, I had a pastor friend of me telling me that this is just fine. And I'm like, well, that pastor friend of yours is a liar. It's just a fact. Dude, you guys, I love you enough to tell you. And I don't know why this is the thing that keeps coming up in my mind. I guess it's the thing that I've been seeing a lot lately. And that is this. Equally yoked is this. You are both walking with the Lord, aiming the same direction, plowing in the same direction. You're both heifers yoked together. Ladies, don't be offended. If you are not equally yoked because one of you is a calf and the other one's a full-grown steer, it's not going to work. If you're both two full-grown heifers and you're pulling in opposite directions because one of you wants to follow Buddha and the other one's trying to follow Jesus, it's not going to work. Now I got some other bad news for us Christians. You are also not going to, you know, salvation date or salvation marry. No, it doesn't work that way either. Do you know why? We've already got one thing against us. We're human, meaning we have a sin nature, so we already want to go the wrong way to begin with. That zombie of called our old man or old woman wants to chew on our brains every moment of every day. And so as we're plowing with the Lord and as we're doing our work, listen, we already have half of us that kind of wants to go the wrong way anyway. Now add another heifer that's pulling the wrong way. You're going to be like, okay. And we see it far too often. You guys, I don't know who that's for. And maybe it's for someone that's going to listen to this later. But listen, stop your games, for gosh sakes. You know why the church's divorce rate is the same as the outside world? Because we do the same stupid things. We don't take God's word seriously and say, no, I'm waiting, God, for you. And listen, there's, here's another side of this. I don't know why I'm on a soapbox right now. But listen, 
There's more than one person out there for you. Do you know what the God says about this whole idea of marriage? Find a person that is seeking me, and you seek me too. And if you like that person, well, then date them and figure out if they're the one that you're supposed to marry, and then marry them. I don't believe that there's one human being on the face of this earth for you. I don't. So, I don't know, man. (laughs) I don't know what all is about. But listen, here's the deal, you guys. Often we see in the world today this whole idea of people giving these things that are lessening the truth of God's word. Listen, when God says homosexuality is a sin, he meant that it really is. It's not something that we can say is okay. It's just not. It's not okay. It's a sin, just like lying or any other sin. When God's word says that you can't do something, you can't say back to that, like, well, you know, grace is really all that matters here, and God's grace is sufficient. It is sufficient. You're absolutely right. Are you using it as a doormat? Because that's a really not cool thing to do. And you're not really even trying to aim toward God's grace. You're just trying to aim towards your own flesh. Guys, there are many false prophets today, just as there have always been. And they're always about making God into something that's easier and more satisfying to your flesh. I believe we serve a good God, but I say this. This is an album that I've heard. I've heard it a couple different times. We serve a very good God. We have a very, very good God, but our God is not safe. Think about that. Our God is not safe. Why is he not safe? Because he's God. He created you. You don't get to create him. He tells me how to live. I don't get to pick and choose what I want to do. He's not safe. If he wants to suck the air out of my lungs as I stand here, he has every right to do that because he's God and I'm not. You guys, he directs my steps. And I, we do our best to stay in the direction that those steps are going. Alan Redpath, I don't know if you guys know this guy, he's an amazing evangelist. He said this, talking about Sam Blatt, he says he seeks to persuade Nehemiah into an easygoing, compromising religion that will shirk persecution, that will carry no cross, and that is governed by fear of opinions of other people. You guys, that might look safe, but it's dead. It's dead. That's not what I want for us. God forbid that we would find ourselves there. I want to walk the exact opposite direction from that. I want to take you know, steps towards God, not towards fruitless ground that is satisfying my own flesh. Verse 15, finishing up, it says this. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. He finished the entire wall, hung the gates, everything was done in 52 days. Pretty shocking. And it happened when all of our enemies heard of it And all the nations around us saw these things, that they were very disheartened in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was done by our God. Amen. Also in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and the letters of Tobiah came to them. For many in Judah were pledged to him, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Arah, and his son, uh, Johanahan, (laughs) had married the daughter of of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah. And they reported his good deeds before me, and they reported my words to him. Tobiah sent letters to frighten me. 
So after 52 short days, the walls were completely done. And I need us to think about these 52 days and what they might have looked like. Not one of them was easy. Not one of them was without a fight. Not one of them. Man, they fought. Nehemiah had fought the whole way through those 52 days and accomplished something that only God could have done through these people in spite of all the garbage that was happening around them. And you guys, we see through this that although the spiritual battle was fierce, the physical completion of the wall was not a big deal to God. It was something easy. It was easy for God to finish that in 52 days. God uses this victory, you guys, to bring his enemies, those people that kept trying to dishearten and make them feel bad, to a place where they were disheartened. And they, all they could do was look and say, well, their God is obviously with them. Their God is actually doing something where we could do nothing to stop it. And finally, Nehemiah completes this section of the chapter by pointing this out, that Tobiah had a lot of friends within the walls of Israel. So we're still not done. We're still not done. Cliff's Notes version, you ready? Tobiah's a snake. Tobiah's a snake, and he had worked his way into the good graces of many of the nobles of Jerusalem. And guys, I don't know about you, but I've seen this type of person in my life firsthand, in the life of the church. Specifically, I can think of one time where there was this guy, and, and he just, man, I, he, he, he was a snake. And I, the first time I met him, I'm like, hmm. And I talked to the pastor of this church, and I said, man, I don't know about that guy. I think you need to be careful with him. And he didn't, and it turned out, man, he broke the church in half. Everyone there was like, man, this guy's great. Like, he's awesome. He's just really on top of his game. He's got all the scripture reference memorized. He's got all this stuff. He's so cool. Yeah, he tore the church in half. Half of the church left because all he did was badmouth the pastor and talk about how much garbage was happening in the church. And none of it was true. And none of it was founded. And he tore the church in half. You guys, obviously, there were many here that saw Nehemiah with Tobiah as the one in the wrong. Do you understand that? That in spite of that whole thing, they were like, well, Tobiah's a good guy. Like, look how nice he is. And I want us to notice something. Do you see Nehemiah saying, yeah, look at this letter he wrote to frighten me. Look at this thing that he did to make me scared. Look at what he's doing here. Look, do you see? No, he didn't even do that. He's just like, well, you can think what you want, but I know. I know. I'm not going to listen to you guys. He's a snake. That's what he is. I see him for who he is, and I know it. You guys, can I say this? A leader must do their best to seek God and follow God to the best they can, even though many around will judge them. A leader can't follow the crowd. They have to search out God's will. They have to seek wise counsel. And they have to trust God and go in his direction. And that's all of us, you guys. That's all of us. So the main point here is this. Don't stop fighting. Don't give up. Keep seeking God. Don't get distracted. Don't let others dissuade you. God is moving. Get in step with him. Get in step with him. God, I thank you for this time tonight to, to just come before you and especially here in this midweek study, Lord God, to just ask to be refocused, recentered. God, so often we need it. We, we need it, <laughs> I think, every day, Father. But God, I do ask for each one here, for each one watching online or listening later, God, would you 
God, would you get a hold of our hearts in multiple ways? Lord, would you give us supernatural discernment? Father, I'm asking, Lord, that you would just pour out within us, God, just a knowledge of the direction that you have for us. Father, an ability to see things the way you see them. And God, a courage and a willingness to just obediently walk in it. Holy Spirit, I know you don't hide your will from us. You're not, you're not coy. And so God, as we're asking these questions tonight, Lord, as we're trying to understand what direction you have for us, Father, I'm asking, Lord, would you just, I don't know, Lord, slap us upside our heads with it or something, make it painfully obvious to us, Lord God, what those things are that you have for us, Lord, in our workplace, in our families, God, with our friends. Lord, we need you. We can't do this without you, God. And Lord, at the same time, we don't even know how many breaths we have left in these lungs God want to use. Lord, I pray for our church, Lord, that our hearts would be to use each and every one for you, for your glory, to see people come to you. Lord, to make heaven that much more packed full. So God, we need you to do that, Lord. We need you to work through us to do that, God. We can't get distracted, Father, by all this shiny stuff and by all the fear of man and all this garbage, Lord God, that the world does nothing but try to get us to go and, and, and to just bend our way to, Lord God, of fear and of our own lusts, Lord God, and our own desires over yours, God. Father, change our hearts, God. Focus us, Lord God. Give us clarity to see the direction you have for us, Father, and give us just laser focus, Lord God, on that to just stay uh, intense, Lord God, to see what you have for us to do, God, and to just be about it, God. Be about it, Lord, so that when we get to heaven, there's nothing left. God, would you, would you move in us individually, and Lord, would you move in our church body? God, would you prepare us as a church, Father, for what you have uh, for us this next year, Lord. And Lord, everything is on the chopping block, Lord. I ask, God, would you give myself, Lord, would you give the board just the wisdom to look at these things, to understand where you want us to go and the things you don't want us to do. And God, how all of that brings glory and honor to your kingdom, Lord, and how, Lord, we just want to drop a love bomb here. Father, we want to be used by you, God, to do that. So Lord, would you do that through us? Lord, we can't do it without you. Lord, we need you to give us wisdom and discernment and understanding in that, Lord. So please, God, please do that work, Father, in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Great Bay Calvary Church in Dover, New Hampshire. We're so glad you found us. If you want to learn more about our services or need prayer for something going on in your life, come connect with us at greatbaycalvary.com.